that song and mean it. Christ became sin for us. He took the blame, bore the wrath. The wrath that we deserved was placed upon Jesus Christ, who did not deserve. And we stand forgiven. Only the Christian stands forgiven at the cross. We are forgiven people. Nothing can ever change that. Nothing can alter that fact. The power of the cross. We're in the study of the Gospel of John in chapter 17. And this is somewhat of a part two to the message last Sunday where we had four points. The what, the who, the way, and the why. The what, sanctification. The who, who is sanctified, that is them, that is Christians. The way and the truth in God's word, which is truth. And the why, the why is indeed for his glory. Let us just remind ourselves of where we are in the text. Let us consider the context. Let us go go back all the way to verse 1. We're almost finished with this um, mountain of a chapter. We'll see that Jesus prays for himself. Jesus prays for the disciples. And then, Lord willing, next time. Jesus prays for all believers specifically. Look at verse 1. Jesus spoke these things and lifting up his eyes to heaven, he said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you. Even as you gave him authority over all flesh, that to all whom you have given him he may give eternal life. This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work which you have given me to do. Now, Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had before you. Excuse me, I had with you before the world was. I have manifested your name to the men who you gave me out of the world. They were yours, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they have come to know that everything you have given me is from you. For the words which you gave me I have given to them. And they received them and truly understood that I came forth from you. And they believed that you sent me. I ask on their behalf. I do not ask on behalf of the world, but on those whom you have given me, for they are yours. And all things that are mine are yours and yours are mine. And I have been glorified in them. I am no longer in the world. And yet they themselves are in the world. And I come to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name the name which you have given me, that they may be one even as we are. While I was with them, I I was keeping them in your name, which you have given me, and I guarded them. And not one of them perished, but the son of perdition, so that the scripture would be fulfilled. But now I come to you, and these things I speak in the world, so that they may have my joy made full in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. 
and then our scripture for us this morning. Sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. For their sakes, I sanctify myself, that they themselves may also be sanctified in truth. O Lord, I ask once again for the strength that only you can give. I pray, O God, that you would give me unction from on high. I'm a weak man, a weak vessel, nothing without you. The people need to hear from your word. They need to hear from Almighty God. O Lord, I pray you would indeed help me today. In Jesus' name, amen. First point for us is sanctified in truth. Sanctified in truth. A little bit of a review of sanctification for us. Positional sanctification, progressive sanctification, and perfected sanctification. Positional sanctification, again, we are sanctified in Christ, which means we are set apart, consecrated as holy. It's a one-time gracious act by God when he saves a person, when he saves their soul. They are positionally sanctified. They are set apart for God, for him. And then there is the progressive sanctification. This is the term we often are most familiar with. Sanctification in our lives, the ongoing work of God and the life of a believer, where we become more separate from the power of sin and separated unto the things of the Lord. Through this process, we become more and more able to die to sin and to live unto righteousness. It is something we have to pursue, as Hebrews tell us, to follow peace with all men, holiness without which no man will see the Lord. You want to see the Lord, do you not? We are to pursue holiness, which takes effort and it takes discipline in the life of the Christian. The put-offs and the put-ons are part of this, and we looked at that last Sunday, I believe it was. So there is the positional sanctification, there is the progressive sanctification, where we are involved, where we are responsible as Christians, where we are to pursue holy living, and then there is the perfected sanctification, which is ultimately glorification, where there will be a total separation from sin's power, Total separation from the things of this world anymore and when we will be indeed with the Lord. As Ephesians 5 verse 27 says, I'll just read it for us, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. Indeed, when we consider being sanctified in the truth, Psalm 119 has something to say about this. I invite you to turn there. Psalm 119. We're going to be going to various texts again this morning. We're also going to be going to 2 Timothy and the book of Revelation again. 
today. <clears throat> but Psalm 119, we're going to look at verse 30, 31, and 32. <clears throat> As we looked at before, sanctify them in your truth. Your word is truth. The primary instrument that God uses in our lives for our sanctification is his word. And if we want to know more about the, his word in the life of a believer, Psalm 119, 119 is all over it. And for, for us this morning, we'll just look at verse 30, 31, and 32. Because we obviously don't have enough time to go through all 176 verses this morning. But it'd be a good study, good homework on your time and my time. Look at verse 30. <clears throat> I have chosen the faithful way. Okay, this is the believer. I've chosen the faithful way. I have placed your ordinance before me. I cling to your testimonies, O Lord. Do not put me to shame. I shall run the way of your commandments. For you will enlarge my heart. Notice the spirit-filled, spirit-led determination of the psalmist. The, the I haves or, or I will do. I have chosen a faithful way. This deliberate decision made by the Christian. Deliberately made by the Christian. Thinking it through, counted the cost, but saying, yes, indeed, Christ has saved me. And now I have chosen the faithful way. Not the unfaithful way. I have chosen the faithful way. I have placed your ordinances before me. He has chosen to walk in the ways of the Lord. The man of God or the woman of God sets before them the word of God. I've chosen the faithful way. I've placed your ordinances before me. The word will be a lamp to my feet, a light to my path. See the, the diligence here, the discipline here. Verse 31, I cling to your testimonies. I grasp on to these things as if with uh, all of my might, as if you were hanging off a cliff. I cling to what? To your testimonies, to your word. Oh Lord, do not put me to shame. Look at verse 32. I shall run the way of your commandments, for you will enlarge my heart. Running the way of his commands is walking in obedience to the Lord, is walking worthy of the calling for which we have been called. It's running the race that is set before us, the way that he has us to run it. And Hebrews 12 tells us something about this, does it not? I'll remind us of it once again because I need to be reminded of it once again, in Hebrews chapter 12, we're done with Psalm 119 for now, or for today, or for this hour. Don't go home and say, I don't have to open it up because he said I'm done with it for today. Again, chosen, the faith way, place your ordinances before me, I cling to your testimonies, I shall run the way of your commandments. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 1. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses. Well, who are this cloud of witnesses? Well, those in the Old Testament, 
You can read about that right in chapter 11, which points us what? Points us back to the Word of God. When we say, who are these cloud of witnesses? Again, sanctified in truth, we go back to chapter 11. We go back to the Old Testament saints and we say, oh, these are the cloud of witnesses for us. And since we have such a great cloud of witnesses surrounding us, this is what we ought to do. As we run this race, as we are to pursue holiness, as we are in our sanctification, let us lay aside every encumbrance. Everything, not necessarily sin, which would be an encumbrance, but a weight that would hold us down from running the Christian race that we ought to run the way that God has for us. It's like trying to run track and carrying dumbbells like you're doing a farmer's walk carrying 25-pound weights on each side and trying to run a race rather than letting them go and running as God would have you. Every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us. Do we not all have sin which so easily would entangle us individually? And that's different for all of us in here. Whatever that individual sin may be, we're all sinners and fall short of the glory of God. We all have indwelling sin. For those of us who are in Christian, we are Christians this morning. We are forgiven But yet we still sin, and we have these sins in our lives which so easily can entangle us. And we are to lay them aside and run with endurance the race that is set before us. How so? Fixing our eyes not on what's going on in this world. Fixing our eyes not on who's going to get elected or whatnot in the next election. Fixing our eyes not on these pundits in the news who would tell us what is this and what is that in order for us to parrot what they say. No, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith. If we would just get these two verses down, our lives would be a whole lot more simple. Not necessarily easier, but more simple. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God, and he intercedes for us, even now. For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you will not grow weary and lose hearts. Now, when I brought up the lukewarm church a couple of weeks ago from Revelation chapter 3, and I mentioned the concern there, but there's also the concern here of growing weary and losing hearts. That's why it's so important to preach the gospel to ourselves consistently so we remember, remember who we are and what God has done for us and to hear the gospel preached to us consistently so that we remember who we are and what Christ has done for us. Holiness that we are called to, that every Christian is called to, takes time and it takes effort. Personal holiness has been neglected in American churches. Those who have chosen to walk in His ways will be those who continually set before them the Word of God. I read a short book recently, which I mentioned earlier, from Jeremy Walker, 
I would encourage every Christian to read that. 90 pages, uh, roughly, titled, A Face Like a Flint, Learning from the Righteous Determination of the Savior. Much of the book is based on the determination of Jesus Christ. And I was reminded of Isaiah chapter 50, verse 7, which says, For the Lord helps me, therefore I, I am not disgraced. Therefore I have set my face like flint, and I know that I will not be ashamed. So the Lord counted the cost of the path laid before him. And what an example that is for us as Christians. As we have counted the cost, and we ought to continue to count the cost of the path that is laid before us. If we are to be followers of Christ, people that are sanctified in the truth, we must count the cost as well. Walker suggests that Jesus' eye was clear, his face like flint, his heart warm, and his step sure. Face like a flint. What, what does this mean? Where do we get that? Well, Isaiah chapter 50, verse 7, also Ezekiel chapter 3, verse 9, which says, Harder than flint I have made your forehead. Not where we would get like the term bullheaded or stubborn or, or hard-headed. No, the name Ezekiel means God strengthens. So having a face like flint is being resolved for God. Determined to continue on following the ways of the Lord. The man of God says, I have chosen the way of truth. The man of God says, I will not become the fringe of the church. The man of God says, no, I will pour my life into the church where God's people are. The man of God says, I've chosen the way that you have called me to, O Lord. I've set my face like flint. We consider the, how the man of God, or the woman of God, esteems the word of God. Psalm 119, again, verse 14. What does the word of God do? It gives him joy. He delights in it, verse 16. He, he ponders it. He considers it good. He loves it. He hopes in it. It is precious to him. This is all from Psalm 119. It comforts him. He is confident, confident in it. It gives him light. Consider if you had to go into solitary confinement for a period of time. All right, not like in prison where it's a padded room or whatnot, or you get food under the door, no light, nothing like that. But think of a solitary time, maybe a couple of weeks or a month. You had three square a day or four square a day, roof over your head, you could go outside, you could do all of these things. Sounds kind of nice to some of us, perhaps. But you can only take one of two things with you. You could take your Bible or you could take your cell phone with no Bible apps and no way to search the Word of God on it. Which would you choose? Think about that. Even for a week. Even for a day. When we consider running the race, again from Jeremy Walker's book, he, he says this way. 
What are the right circumstances for running? Well, when the starting pistol sounds, then we begin running and we run to the end. This is the spirit of Christ and his most eminent servants. There was nothing conditional about the obedience of Christ and his true disciples. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus from Philippians 3. Even the world will tell you that the man without zeal and resolve accomplishes nothing. And oftentimes that's applauded today as I would make a side note on that. The single-minded achievers of this world are often those who say, in effect, I will run. They are not waiting until things seem easy. They plan, they purpose, they pursue, they fight past obstacles. Made me think of athletes or boxers that are not Christians, but you see the diligence that they take. And how they were raised in poverty, whatever it is. And they fight and fight and fight. And they do what they can. And they won't stay down. They get back up. All for worldly goals. He asks the question, why do worldlings strive for a fading crown while Christians play with an eternal one? Some of you here are playing church, and you know it. Christians, he says, are often too guilty of flapping and faffling and fluttering when great things are at stake. He says, no coach of an international rugby team would welcome into the team a man who did not know how to cling to the ground gained and to run forward to gain ground. And yet Christians allegedly pressing towards heaven seem too often to be coasting along in the vague expectation that progress will simply happen. Finally, he says, remember, this is less about your capacity and more about your attitude. What is your spirit, he asks. There are too many armchair Christians, too many casual Christians. Sitting saints are tragically common. Running Christians are rarer by by far and precious indeed. How much we need to run as, as these saints did. Are you resolved to run or simply ready to watch? Let that be a challenge for every single one of us this morning, including myself, as we are to be sanctified in truth. Secondly, set apart by the Savior. Set apart by the Savior. As we go to Revelation chapter 2. The Word of God says in John, For their sakes I sanctify myself, that they themselves also may be sanctified in truth. I'll come back to verse 18, because verse 19 continues on with the emphasis of verse 17. And if we go to Revelation chapter 2, in a recent sermon, I made mention of the church of Laodicea, the lukewarm church, a worldly church. There are six other churches that Jesus addresses in the book of Revelation. 
When we read these, we are convinced of the Lord's fervent zeal for the holiness of his church, both in moral purity and in doctrine. Richard Phillips says, To visit the ruins of these churches, which Christ seemed to have given over to destruction, is to be brought to the fear of the Lord, who did not mince words when he threatened to remove their lampstands that they did not repent. Look at Revelation 2, verse 4 through 5. Message to Ephesus. I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Therefore, remember from where you have fallen, and repent and do the deeds you did at first, or else I am coming to you and will remove your lampstand out of its place unless you repent. So in the case of the church of, or the message to Ephesus, they've lost their first love. The first love being Christ. And that can be true of a church who maybe holds doctrine over Jesus. It can be true of us as individuals as well. Losing our first love, Jesus Christ. Look at Pergamum, chapter 2, verse 14. I have these, uh, excuse me, I have a few things against you because there are some who hold the teaching of Balaam, who kept teaching Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel, to eat things sacrificed to idols, and to commit acts of immorality. So he have so you also have some who have in the same way hold to the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Therefore repent, or else I am coming to you quickly, and I will make war against them with the sword of my mouth. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, to him I will give some of the hidden manna, and I will give him a white stone and a new name written on the stone, which no one knows but he who receives it. So there's the, uh, the warning to Pergamum as well. And then to Thyatira. Look at this, chapter 2, verse 19. I know your deeds and your love and faith and service and perseverance, that your deeds of later greater than at first. Uh, this encouragement there. But I have this against you, that you tolerate the woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess, and she teaches and leads my bondservants astray, so that they commit acts of immorality and eat things sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent, and she does not want to repent of her immorality. Behold, I will throw her on a bed of sickness, and those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation unless they repent of her deeds. And an application for us, tolerating false teachers and just allowing it to happen. And we are to be ferocious in our stand against wolves, wolves in sheep's clothing. We are not, I'm not going to be nice about them. I'm going to tell them who you are, and I have no problem naming them by names if they are dangerous to the Christian, specifically if they are dangerous to this flock. And in Sardis, chapter 3, verse 1. To the angel of the church in Sardis write, He who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars says this, I know your deeds, that you have a name, that you are alive, but you are dead. 
So this is those who think that they are alive and who the church is just growing by leaps and bounds and thousands are coming to the place and it looks like all these things are happening. The bells and whistles are going off. You have a name that you are alive, but you are dead. And take this individually to someone who thinks that they are a Christian, but they are not. Wake up and strengthen the things that remain, which were about to die. For I have not found your deeds completed in the sight of my God. So remember what you have received and heard and keep it and repent. Therefore, if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief and you will not know of what hour I will come to you. So we see warnings and warnings after warnings from the Lord Jesus Christ telling us and hitting us over the head with that he takes holiness in his church very seriously. The question is, do we as Christians in 2023 take holiness as seriously? If any church or any individual Christian takes holiness lightly or disregards it, they are completely out of step with Jesus and out of touch with what he has called his people to. It is clear right in our text. It is clear in the book of Hebrews, as I mentioned, without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Perhaps when we find that professing Christians live so much like the world and are not striving after personal holiness, perhaps they have never been even saved in the first place. Jesus warned, many will say to me on that last day, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Jesus insists, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven, it is he who will enter. Jesus places an emphasis on holiness. We should take that as a warning to take holiness seriously as well. As we consider, John, what Jesus says, and we consider verse 19, for their sakes I sanctify myself, that they themselves also may be sanctified in truth. I think the ESV translation on this helps us, and it is best for the, it's translated. For their sake, I consecrate myself, that they also may be sanctified in truth. Consecrate and sanctify come from the same Greek word. Because we would ask the question, how can Jesus sanctify himself? When we consider sanctification, we consider progressive sanctification, we'd say, how in the world can that happen? He's never known sin. How could Jesus progress in holiness when he has, been, he has always been perfect and he's the perfect holy one? Well, we consider the ESV as it says consecrate. That helps us, helps my thinking. One essential part of holiness is being consecrated or set apart for service to God. Isn't that what Jesus did? fully God, fully man, set apart for his sacred service to go to the cross. He was set apart to do the will of the Father, consecrated himself as our mediator. And he also consecrates his followers that they also may be sanctified in truth. 
When we are born again, we are regenerated, consecrated, set apart by God and for God, positionally sanctified, the gracious one-time act of God, setting us apart. And then the progressive sanctification continues on, ongoing, practical, and personal holiness. And then the perfected sanctification, ultimate glorification. But our sanctification depends or corresponds to Jesus' consecration. Christ set himself apart, consecrated himself through fulfilling God's will. We as Christians are also to be set apart, consecrated to do God's will, worshiping the triune God. Paul says we were saved from idols to serve the living God. If we are saved from idols to serve the living God, why would we go back to the idols who we served before? Which we were saved from. We are to be set apart for the truth of God. Richard Phillips says, again, we are to believe God's truth, love God's truth, speak God's truth, and do God's truth in a world of ignorance, unbelief, and rebelliousness. Jesus consecrated himself to the cross, setting his face like flint to Jerusalem. We, as his followers, are consecrated by denying ourselves, taking up his cross, and following him. Jesus says, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. And in doing so, we are liberated and delivered from a life of sin and also from vain pursuits. That's one of the encumbrances that we can get wrapped up in as a Christian, is vain pursuits, whatever that may be. God calls us to holiness for our good and for his glory. And Jesus serves as a pattern for holiness. We can carry out and we have a pattern for holy humility, holy compassion, holy forgiveness, holy unselfishness, and a holy indignation against sin and holy prayer. Holiness gives evidence of our justification. It gives evidence of our election. It is the fruit in our lives. We are purified or are to be purified for consecrated service to God. Go to 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy Chapter 2, Paul writes to Timothy, specifically charged to guard his trust. Chapter 2, be strong in the Lord. Questions to ask as we consider verse 14 and following. Who is God going to use? Who is going to be helpful? And who is going to be a useful vessel? Look at verse 14, 2 Timothy chapter 2. 
Remind them of these things and solemnly charge them in the presence of God, not to wrangle about words, which is useless and leads to the ruin of the hearers. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, accurately handling the word of truth. But avoid worldly and empty chatter, for it will lead to further ungodliness. This is applicable for all of us. And their talk will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus, men who have gone astray from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already taken place, and they upset the faith of some. Nevertheless, the firm foundation of God stands, having this seal. The Lord knows those who are his, and everyone who names the name of the Lord is to abstain from wickedness. Now in a large house there are not only gold and silver vessels, but also vessels of wood and of earthenware, and some to honor and some to dishonor. Therefore, and here's the key text for us, therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from these things, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified, useful to the master, prepared for every good work. Consider that everyone in here this morning, do you want to cleanse yourself from these things that perhaps you need to be cleansed from to be a vessel for honor, sanctified? Do you want to be useful to the master, to Christ? Do you want to be prepared for every good work? Then perhaps some of you have things in here that need to to die, that need to be let go of or that need to be taken up. Now, it says, continues, verse 22, flee from youthful lusts and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Refuse foolish and ignorant speculations, knowing that they produce quarrels. Oh, that one verse there could speak multitudes in our lives. The Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to all, able to teach, patient when wronged, with gentleness correcting those who are in opposition, if perhaps God may grant them repentance, leading to the knowledge of the truth. And they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil, having been held captive by him to do his will. Again, the question, who does God seek to use? Who will be helpful And who is useful to him? I want to give you several ways to cultivate personal holiness in your life before we move on to our next and last point. These are adapted from Beaky and Barrett's book, A Radical Comprehensive Call to Holiness. Radical and Comprehensive Call to Holiness. Some of you who love books are writing that down right now. It is excellent. But he gives several. These are from that book. I have adapted some here. I will make some quotes from there before we get to the last point. Several ways to cultivate personal holiness in our life. First, know and love Scripture so as to grow in holiness. Know and love Scripture so as to grow in holiness. 
And by the way, none of these are possible without it being spirit-led. This has to be of the Lord. We try to do things like this, personal holiness in the arm of the flesh, we're going to fail. And it's not going to be real. We want the real deal, do we not? 1 Peter 2, 2 says, long for the pure milk of the word. Don't we want to long for the word? Pure milk of the word. Beaky says this, if you would not remain spiritually ignorant and impoverished, read through the Bible at least annually. More importantly, and we all know that, okay, read through the Bible in a year. We, most of us do that, or some of us do that, and it looks different for everyone, right? Some of us have these reading plans, some of us have those reading plans, whatever it is. But read through the Bible at least annually. More importantly, memorize the scriptures, search the scriptures, meditate upon the scriptures, live and love them, compare scripture with scripture, take time to study the word, let Proverbs chapter 2, verse 1 through 5, set your agenda for serious Bible study. You can write that one down, Proverbs 2, 1 through 5, and look, at, look that up later. Receiving God's words, being teachable, as I mentioned uh, this morning once again to a, a couple that I was talking to, you want to be fat, faithful, available, and teachable. Storing God's commandments, obedience, applying the heart of, of God's word, discipline, crying for, for knowledge, dependence, and searching for hidden treasure, perseverance. Do not expect, listen to this, this is what we need to take home with us. Do not expect growth in holiness if you spend little time alone with God and do not take his word seriously. Rather, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. If we take hold of Christ in his words, It'll take hold of us. And if you stand on God's word, you will not stand with the world. And that's we see in Psalm chapter 1. Psalm 1. Secondly, regard yourselves as dead to the dominion of sin and as alive to God in Christ. Regard yourself as dead to the dominion of sin and as alive to God in Christ. Lloyd-Jones says... I can say to myself that not only am I no longer un under the dominion of sin, but I am under the dominion of another power that nothing can frustrate. Although sin no longer reigns over us as believers, we still have a duty, an active duty, to fight against sin. It's like the military. It's active duty. There are no reserves in fighting against sin. Nothing against reservists. I'm just saying you get the picture. We're all on active duty, all in combat, always ready. You must be. Seek to cultivate a growing hatred of sin, as for God hates sin. When tempted, say with Joseph, how then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Look for heart idols. Pray for strength to uproot them and cast them out. Attack all sin, all unrighteousness, and all devices of Satan. See the hands-on warfare here? The grappling, the combat? Attack all sin, all unrighteousness, and all devices of Satan. Strive for daily repentance before God. Never rise above the publican's petition, which says, God be merciful to me, a sinner. 
Remember Luther's advice to exercise lifelong repentance before God. Believe that Christ is mighty to preserve you alive by his spirit. You live through union with Christ, therefore live unto his righteousness. His righteousness is greater than your unrighteousness. His saviorhood is greater than your sinfulness. Again, let us think of those hymns we we sung this morning and, and consider what the Bible teaches and consider who we are now as Christians. His righteousness is greater than our unrighteousness. His saviorhood is greater than our sinfulness. He is mighty to save. He is mighty to to hold us fast. He, Beaky finishes, do not despair. You are strong in him, alive in him, and victorious in him. Satan may win many skirmishes, but the war is yours, the victory is yours because of who you belong to, Jesus Christ. So as far as practical ways to cultivate personal holiness, know and love the scripture so as to grow in holiness because we're sanctified in his truth. His word is truth. Secondly, regard yourselves as dead to the dominion of sin and as alive to God in Christ. Thirdly, pray and work in dependence upon God for holiness. Consider what David prayed in Psalm 51. He says, create in me a clean heart, O God. Job says, who can make the clean out of the unclean? No one. So spiritual discipline, walking in holiness, and prayer all go together. They are inseparable. The work of spiritual discipline, personal holiness, takes effort, takes time. We battle spiritually. Sometimes we fail, but ultimately not failures because we are in Jesus Christ. Fourth, we are to flee worldliness. And this ties into the lukewarmness. Flee worldliness. We are not of the world. We are not to be like the world. We are to live in this world, but we are to flee worldliness. What we read, how we entertain ourselves, Ask these questions to yourself, believer, right now. How are we entertaining ourselves? What are we reading? What music are we listening to? Who are we hanging out with? How about our conversations or what comes out of our mouth? All of these and and others are to be looked at with Philippians chapter 4, verse 8 as a backdrop. Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is anything excellent and anything worthy of praise, we are to dwell on these things. Fifthly, ways of cultivating holiness. Fourthly, flee worldliness. Fifthly, seek fellowship in the church. Seek fellowship in the church. The local church ought to be a place where members find mutual care and community of prayer. Mutual care and community of prayer. The local church ought to be such a place. This place, this church ought to be such a place of mutual care and a community of prayer. If you isolate yourself from mature believers and from the church, you will stunt your growth. And you will remain spiritually immature. 
We cannot have a heavenly fellowship if we promote a hindering fellowship, someone said. Sixth, associate with mentors in holiness. And oftentimes, they are dead friends. Luther said some of his best friends are dead ones. I can agree. Let the Puritans mentor you. We got two other books out there, short books, one by John Owen and the other by George Swinnick, I think. Let the Puritans mentor you, such as The Mischief of Sin by Thomas Watson, or Temptation and Sin by John Owen, or Keeping of the Heart by John Flavel, and also books like Holiness by J.C. Ryle. I challenge everyone in here to read a book a month. We, can, we have time to scroll. Do we have time to read good books? I think it's Banner of Truth, their statement or their motto, whatever is you are, what you read. It doesn't have to be a 500 page, but let us set some godly goals. New Year's resolutions are coming up, right? Someone to gain muscle, someone to lose weight, whatever it may be. I'm going to fix this here. I'm going to eat more healthy there. How about let's just set all godly goals starting now. Seventh, live in a present tense total commitment to God. A present tense total commitment to God. I believe this was Beaky. He said tomorrow's holiness is today's impurity. So we cannot put it off. And tomorrow's faith is today's unbelief. He says, worldliness begins when we simply do not view things from the perspective of God's word and God himself. We do not need to openly and publicly reject God to be worldly. We can be worldly and be quite religious. Third point for us. Final point for us before we go to the Lord's table. Sent into the world. Sent into the world. Jesus says, As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. Jesus reveals his power for our sanctification and also his purpose for our sanctification. He set apart the first disciples for a specific mission and he sets us apart as well. For a specific mission. Specific marks we have seen thus far of God's people in John chapter 17. Perseverance. Joy. Unity. Holiness. And truth. Now we have the mission. Sent into the world. Sent into the world. Verse 15 through 18. I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. And as for your homework, read 1 John chapter 2, verse 15 through 17. Lest I butcher the text and try to quote it. I'm not going to turn there right now for time's sake. The mission of Christ is a pattern for the mission of the apostles. And the mission 
of the apostles is the pattern for the mission of us, for us as Christians. Sent into the world. Remember I told you about Florida, hurricanes, hurricane hunters, what do they do? They don't shy away from the hurricane. They go into it. Specifically, Jim Cantore. You know it's really serious wherever he goes. When he shows up and starts talking for a half hour or whatever, you know that it's going to hit there. We're not to flee the storm. We're sent into it. We are sent into this world. Jesus was sent into the world to seek and save that which was lost. We, as instruments, are also sent to seek and to save what is lost. We are his ambassadors. Paul says, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were making an appeal through us. We beg you, on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Do you not want to be part of that? The mission that Christ says, this is what I am doing for my, my people. I am sending you into the world. Or do we want to be cowering away from that and hunkering down? We are sent in this world as his agents, not double agents. Some of you watch professional football. I prefer college or high school football, personally. But how do you identify a player on the field? By his jersey, right? If you're watching it, you know who's playing. I don't even know if I should mention the Patriots at this point, but you know who's playing and, and, and which side they are on. By his jersey, by, by, by the number, by the color, the pattern, whatever it is, but you know by the jersey which team they are playing for. But too many professing Christians are wearing the jersey of the devil. And no wonder people are confused. And no wonder true Christians are confused. And the world is confused. As it says in Joshua chapter 24, verse 14, Fear the Lord and serve Him in sincerity and truth. Put away the gods. Put away the false gods. Be resolved. If you're going to serve Christ, you must be all in. He says, if it is disagreeable in your sight to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves today who you will serve. Which idols do you want to serve instead of Jesus? Which false gods? If you want to serve them instead of Christ, go all in. But if you're going to serve and you're going to follow Christ, you must be all in. A.W. Pink says, We are his instruments to preach the gospel, to tell a world dead in sin of one who is mighty to save. We are sent into the world. Jesus Christ is the light of the world. He has called us to be a light in this world. We should not be a lamp put under a basket. There should be no question which side you are on, the side of light or the side of darkness. Some of us have friends or family members which we say about them, they may be a Christian, they say that they are Christian. We all have people we know like that, and we always hesitate with a sigh, I'm not sure. 
As for you and your hearts and your life and your witness, make it unequivocally clear who you belong to. There should be no question, no question at all. But you cannot be sanctified in the truth unless you first have been transformed by the truth. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but by me. Have you been born again? Everyone has to answer that question. Have you repented of your sin and placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ for salvation and forgiveness of your sin? Jesus Christ was sent into this world, fully man, fully God, lived a sinless life, and came to seek and save that which was lost. Jesus Christ died for ungodly sinners like you and me. He willingly went to the cross, died a gruesome death, bore the wrath of the Father, gave up his life so that we could have eternal life. He calls sinners everywhere to come to him, to bow the knee to him, to submit their lives to his lordship. And it is all or nothing. You're either all in for Jesus or you are against him. Which one will it be? He calls his people to holiness, not to worldliness. We'll pray now before we go to the Lord's table. After I pray, I'll ask the men to please come to the front row who are going to help. Let us think of these things, consider and ponder these things. Father, as we have studied your word this morning, we understand again that we are to be sanctified in the truth. We are to be set apart by the Savior. And indeed, we are sent into this world and not to be like the world. Lord, we know we all have areas in our lives we need to improve on. We can only do it with your grace and by your help. Let us not trust in the arm of the flesh, but let us cast our arms down and run to the Savior and plead to you for help, that you would give us the grace to change where needed, O Lord. As we prepare our hearts for the Lord's table this morning, let it be that we would um, get right with you wherever we need to, and that we would do this as an act of worship and as a privilege one of the ordinances that you have set up for your local church. In Jesus' name, amen.